Welcome to Episode 9 of the Passionate Purpose Podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. This week, I'm interviewing Betty Mills, who left her job as a corporate human relations manager at age 52 to become a self-employed consultant, advising auto and recreation vehicle dealers about human resources issues. She lives in the Norfolk, Virginia area, but worked with companies across the country. In the interview, Betty describes how she had to overcome fear and hesitation to leave the security of a monthly paycheck to jump into a business of her own six years after her husband died. All her life, Betty has loved being around horses. She owned her first horse when she was eight years old and has maintained her own stable most of her adult life. Over the years, she would board horses for others and even offer riding lessons. When Betty retired in 2016, she kept herself busy by mentoring children and teenagers who expressed an interest in riding and caring for the horses themselves. Some of her protégés even became competitive riders. Betty describes what she does for kids and teens and how they have impacted her life as well. To hear more of her story about the mutual benefit of mentoring teenagers, please welcome Betty Mills to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Betty. I really appreciate your time. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Well, thanks, Greg. I'm happy to participate. I am from Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I've lived here my entire life. My, in fact, my family has lived in this area since my forebears came over from Ireland as indentured servants. Wow. I'm a 70-year-old widow. I've been widowed for 20, 22 years now, I think. And before I retired, I retired about six years ago. Before that, I was a human resource manager for a couple of big auto groups here in Norfolk, and then a human resource consultant for a company that you used to do business with, I think. That's correct. And so, super. And now you're fully retired. Now I am fully retired, and I am have been able to really pursue my passion for horses and also for mentorship. I've been enamored of horses since I can even remember. Got my first pony when I was seven or eight years old and have had a horse ever since then. Really? For many, many years, I have always owned a horse. That's great. Do you have children yourself? I don't. I do not have children. So, when, But as I tell people all the time, just because you don't have children doesn't mean you don't like children. Exactly. That's right. And you're finding some success at this point in mentoring younger children, right? I am. Mostly teenagers, although I've got a child that rides at my barn now under my direction who is only nine years old. Oh, so, And coincidentally, that's when I started pretty seriously riding, was about nine years old. Oh, that's neat. And so what do you do for these young people? Well, it varies from kid to kid, and it mostly varies depending on what they need. I mean, I've been mentoring kids since I was a kid myself. In fact, it's really kind of funny because my very first mentee, and I think that's the right word, was... um, just came to see me the other day because we had kind of fallen out of touch. I hadn't seen her in a couple of years and she came by the farm and sat and talked with me for a little while. She's 62 years old now. 
And we, I started mentoring the lady that's in my early 20s and she was a teenager. But anyway, now I do anything from furnish a horse for kids to ride to furnishing them with lessons and tack and advice and a cheering section. Oh, that's neat. So you're helping them fall in love with horsemanship? Is that it? Generally, by the time I see a kid who is interested in riding, they have bugged their parents <laughs> so much to, <laughs> to find them a horse to ride that by the time I get involved with them, they are dedicated to it. They have just bugged and bugged their parents. It seems that some kids, and I can attest to this because I was one of them, are just born with that horse gene. And they, from the time they can talk, they want the little Briars horses, the little toy horses, and they're setting up paper box stables in their bedroom, and they've read all the horse books. And by the time they're nine or 10 years old, they've read all the Walter Farley books, and they've read National Velvet, and they, they're just basically ate up with it. And that's where I come in. I run into some parent who says, I've got this kid who just loves horses and loves horses. Can I possibly bring them out to your place? That's my, my, my big recent success story has been Maggie. And you probably don't want me to say her last name, but she, she's 18 years old now, just turned 18. She started riding with me when she was 11. Her, parent, her grandparents live across the street from me. Her her grandfather did me a favor, and it seems like it was that he graded my driveway. And I said to him one day, if there's ever anything I can do to return this favor, I would certainly welcome the opportunity. And he said, well, I've got a little granddaughter who is crazy about horses, and if you would ever give her a horse ride, I would be so grateful. So I said, well, bring her over here. What day can you bring her? And he brought her over later on that week, and she got on the horse, and I'm telling you, she was a natural. Her leg fell right into place. Her hands were in the right place, and I just kind of took it up, and she's been my little protege ever since. That's sweet. What is it about horses that really call out to children? I think it's especially the girls. Yes. And I, in fact, it is especially to girls that horses speak to. And I really think it is the power that you feel when you are able to master an animal that weighs 1,400 pounds. <laughs> and did I you... think that girls just feel that. That makes sense. So you got a, a little 100-pound girl riding a 1,400-pound horse, and it gives her, it empowers her and makes her feel that yes. she has the ability to manipulate. Is that, that would be the wrong word, wouldn't it? To it's work. probably the wrong word. It, it, to control is probably a good word. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, they, you control the horse. You control it through age, through the age that you use. Your, your hands and your legs are the natural aid. Your seat is a natural aid. Spurs and bats and saddles or bits or, or artificial aids, but the, all of those things conspire to control the horse and basically bend them to your will. I've, I thought the horses are noble animals. 
horses are the probably the noblest of the domesticated animals. And what do you mean by noble? And that, well, when you watch a horse's carriage, you you turn a horse out in a field, and he, I mean, he prances around. He trots. He lifts his tail. He lifts his head. He pricks his ears forward and snorts and you look at him and think, wow. He's confident. <laughs> That's really something. The horse is yeah. confident. And many times the gals the get the confident. They pick it up on that. I think they do. That's a really interesting observation. I know I've known several girls because I'm a dad of daughters only. And all of them right. wanted horses for some reason. At one point in their life, they wanted a horse either to ride or to own. And it mm -hmm. just they just seemed drawn. To horses and it's always puzzled right. me as to why these these gals are so enamored with horses and the one and once they get into it like your protégés do they really develop a bond for the animal themselves i mean and it goes beyond this is my dog this is my horse and the horse is just i i can't describe the bond maybe you can I don't know that I could describe the bond. I can say that every every girl that I've ever known who got into rooting fairly seriously considered that horse to be a confidant, considered that horse to be a real friend. I mean, something that she was bonded with that no one else was. And that's why I'm telling you what, when you sell one of them, oh my gosh, the crying that goes on. That and it And it really doesn't matter that you've already bought the next one and he's in the barn. Mm. It's letting go of the last one that is so hard for girls. The only thing that makes it worthwhile is when you can say, he's going to teach the next one. That's a very point. Now, do the horses bond with the girls as well? I think so, yes. I know that this horse that I, that was Maggie's horse that I just sold, I know that he was attached to her, would do things for her that he would not do for me. He would stand better for the farrier for her. When the farrier came out to put his shoes on, he would stand quietly for her and he would jig around when I was trying to hold him. She could walk up to him and just throw the blanket over his back. And I had to kind of inch it up on him. He just trusted her. He had, <laughs> he had a real feeling of trust with her. That's sweet. So how many kids do you think it that is. you have mentored over the years? I would say conservatively 10 or 12. And 10, this, or tw 10 or 12. And yeah. what, what does mentoring mean to you? I mean, what, what does this involve? Because it seems like 10 to 12, it's not just giving them a horse ride, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. It's not at all. When you mentor somebody with horses, you need to be in a position to furnish whatever it is that they need. I mean, it, some of these kids have horses and what they need is instruction. Some of them have horses and what they need is tack and instruction. And I have a stocked tack room. I have, I don't know, five or six saddles of varying sizes, actually more than that, more like eight or nine saddles of varying sizes and saddle pads and blankets and a and a collection of brushes and a collection of bits and I don't know 10 or 12 bridles and 
So you want everything that you need to ride. So if if you if your daughter or granddaughter wanted to ride, you could bring her to me, and I could say, well, do you want to buy her a horse or do you want to lease her a horse? Or if you can't afford to, I can see if I can find something that I can afford. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and then great. I would just just do. I would furnish whatever you needed, including instruction. How many horses do you have? Oh my gosh, I have, let's see, I have four horses right now, and I just sold the horse that Maggie's been riding, and he was an off-track thoroughbred, and I have, my mare is in full, so I have four and a half horses. Four and a half horses. <laughs> oh, that's neat. So do you have enough mentors? on March 11th. Oh my. Uh, do you have enough horses for each of the, I mean, do you have enough pupils for each of the horses? I don't right now. I have a nine-year-old, and then I have, of course, I still have Maggie. She's leaving very shortly for Florida. She's going to be working down there as a professional groom and doing some warm-up riding for a big barn up in Northern Virginia that's going to Florida for the winter. So she's going to be going down to the World Equestrian Equestrian Center down there and uh, spending the winter. She's coming back to end of March. Is she going to make it a career? It looks like it. Yeah. Wow, right pretty... Right now it would appear so. That's got to be super satisfying for you to take a, a gal who was 11 years old when you met her and to the fact that she is going to become a professional equestrian. It is very satisfying for me. I, I don't mind saying that. She, she's a talented kid and a real good kid and a good person. And I've encouraged her to follow her her passion for horses. I've furnished her with a horse here for these seven years. She's 18 now, 18 and a half, so seven and a half years. And I mean, I just sold this horse because she no longer has time to ride it and the rest of the horses that she's riding. And so by selling it, you give another child an opportunity to fall in love with the horse. Exactly. This horse that she had went to a big barn in Nashville to a 14-year-old girl who is stepping up from ponies oh. to horses, and this will be her first real horse. She's had ponies until now. The thing, she's 14, which is just about the time you come off of ponies and get your first horse. And the difference between a pony and a horse, not just size, it's got to be size, right, and power and all that kind of stuff? It, it's exact, it is exactly size. There, you can, there are... The horse shows are broken up into two divisions, ponies and horses, and only children can show ponies. So as long as you've got your child on a pony, it is it is uh, participating in the show in competition with other children. So so it makes the competition fairer. And a pony is under two. Is that correct? No, the pony is under fourteen hands, two inches. Oh, that's size. So a, it's based on size. Is, it's, it's strictly size. Okay. Strictly size. Because a lot of people think that ponies are young horses and they're not. Ponies have different DNA than horses. Ponies are entirely different animals than horses. They're, they have different DNA. So, so a pony, when it's 20 years old, is under 14 hands, 2 inches. See, I had no idea. And a hand is 4 inches. I always thought a pony was a newborn. Oh, well, that's a fall, but, uh, and, you know, they grow uh, up I, into ponies. 
<laughs> yeah, I've found that most people think that. Now, when you've got parents approaching you to work with their daughters, because it's you don't usually work with boys, correct? Not usually. I've I've had one or two that have shown some interest, and I've and I have mentored them to a degree. But boys usually, once they can play football, yeah. they really they're really not that interested in the horses anymore. They want more of the physical kind of things than than the well, girls. Horses, horses are very physical, but boys are more mechanically inclined, I think. Boys are more interested in automobiles and motorbikes and four-wheelers kind of thing. So when you're, you've got a parent approaching you about working with her child, do you have any criteria that you use to evaluate whether this is a good mentorship opportunity, or do you just pretty much take yeah. anybody? No, I have to say that what, I hadn't really thought of that, but there is a criteria, and the criteria is how much time is the parent willing to devote to making this kid's dreams come true. It's not a money thing so much because I've, I mean, I've got everything that they would need to do it, but do you, I mean, I had a child recently that I thought was going to work out because the kid had a lot of talent but the problem is you have to bring your child out on the weekend it's just like soccer or anything else you've got to be willing to take that child to the practices and take it to the games and be there and stay there and sit there and then take it home <laughs> and it, it's the same thing with horses you've got to be willing to take that kid to the barn and sit around while it catches the pony and tacks it up. Now, a lot of times you can bring it out and, and leave it with me. Obviously, Maggie spent a lot of time at my barn without her parents there. But the parents have to be willing to sacrifice the time. At least to get to Not the point. Not too much mm -hmm. the money. At least to get them there and to, to, to do whatever they need to do time-wise to help that child get it. And this other kid that I really thought was going to work out, she was a, a good little rider. But every time I would say, well, we've got a clinic at, that's going to be over at the stable across the street on Sunday. Could you bring her out for that? And they go, well, football games are on Sunday. Okay. And I'm going, well, you know, it's, it's either more important than a football game or it's not. So that's where you draw I'm the line. I'm talking about watching football games, not playing in them. Right. It's more important to stay home and watch a ball game than it is to bring the child out to ride. There's not much hope for that. So you do draw the line in that regard in that you are not going to drive into town to pick up the child and bring her back to your stable. Well, uh, most of the actually, time. I've driven and actually I've driven to school and picked kids up from school many, many times. Oh, many times. But when somebody tells me that watching a football game is more important than helping their child realize their dreams. Mm -hmm. There's not much hope for that. Right. It needs the parental support because there will get times where the, I'm sure the child becomes discouraged. If something happens, sure. gets thrown off the horse or something like that. And it just doesn't do what it wants to do. And the parent needs to be there to encourage the child too. Right. And I don't have anything against football. My sister's addicted to it. <laughs> she watches football every Sunday. But it's like, I can't do it all. I can go pick them up at school one or two days a week. I can't do it all. I have to have some assist from the parent. 
what kind of changes have you noticed in the kids that you've been working with? The biggest changes that I see in girls, and it's hard to tell, and I'm, I don't mean to sound like I'm patting myself on the back. It's hard to tell whether it's the horse that's doing it or whether it's being with me at the barn that's doing it is a, a boost in their assertiveness because what? I'm a pretty assertive person. And, and I, I believe personally in teaching girls to be assertive. I think so. I think there's a difference in being aggressive and assertive. And I think that girls need to be told to speak up and say what they want. And so you encourage that among your, your charges? I insist on it. Insist on it. Very with my charges. Insist on it. Okay. When I, when I take a kid over, and this is, I'll go back to Maggie for a minute. I took Maggie for a lesson one day to our trainer who is, lives, her farm is very near my farm. And I took Maggie over there for a lesson and I said, go on in and warm up so you're ready when Metaurice is ready. Mm-hmm. And she, I look and five minutes later, she's out walking around outside the end gate. And I walked over there and said, what are you doing out here? You're supposed to be warming up. And mm-hmm. she said, well, so-and-so is in the ring right now. And I said, well, you've got as much right in that ring as anybody else. You don't, st- you don't stand around outside here and not prepare for properly for your lesson. Because somebody else is in the ring. That's not how life works. And that's a good point. That's something that she will learn, be able to use her entire life. That type of thing is standing up for herself and what she needs. Right. I can see where that would apply very well to any relationships that she might have going forward too. Well, I hope that it does, because I really do think that that's something that, that we as a society don't teach girls sufficiently is to speak up and be sure that you speak up for yourselves and are treated fairly. Mm -hmm. Have you always been mentoring kids, even when you were working in human resources? I, I wasn't able to do it, do it too much because just because of time constraints. Right. Well, I was working 60 hours a week when I was working for the automobile dealerships. Was It was when I got into consulting that I had time. And I think I was 51 or 52 when I got into consulting. Well, that was a new direction for your life as well after you turned 50. It really was. It was a, and it was a big adjustment. And why did the difference in, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It was a difference in working for a salary and working on commission. And commission work, as as you well know, and I imagine most people do, it is it's like walking a tightrope without a net. I mean, you you live by what you are able to to make yourself. That was a big adjustment for me, and I think it would be for anyone. Was it a little frightening to be able to to give up the stability of that paycheck to venture out on your own to do something? It probably, it probably was for me, maybe a little more than most people because I had been married for 20 years and then I found myself widowed and then I found myself in a, not too long, I guess it was six or seven years after I was widowed, I found myself in a position of working on commission. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was something, I would say that it was a little frightening just from a standpoint of not having a cushion to fall back on. 
that security. Right. Right. But did it work and out? I really shouldn't say I didn't. I really shouldn't say I didn't have a cushion to fall back on because I've been a saver all my life. And I certainly had a bankroll, but I didn't have a day to day. I didn't have a husband and a paycheck. Right. Did it work out for you? It worked out very nicely. You it were worked able, out very nicely. You were able to get some, how'd you get some clients? Well, I was very fortunate to go with a company that had an existing client base and was, I was opening up a new part of the business. They did not have a human resource consultant at that point. They had sales and service consultants and they were able to share their client base with me. I also did bring in some clients of my own, but they, they had an active client base that I was able to work from. Mm -hmm. And when did you fully retire from that line of work? It was about six years ago, I guess. I was 60, 63. So you had started working with Maggie a little bit right before you officially retired. Yes, exactly. But your real passion for helping the gals, the teens and the tweens developed after you stepped away from your job and you had some extra reason. You had the money because you said you were a saver and now you had more time and you could really invest it in the lives of those young girls. Exactly. Have you heard back from any of them outside of Maggie as to whether you had an impact on their lives? Oh. oh, they're all still very dear friends. Oh, that's neat. I can't think of a one that I'm not still close to. Are they all still involved in horses? Not all of them, as I'm thinking about it. One of them I got involved with when I was 26 and she was 13. I remember that because she was exactly half my age and it was the year I got married. So we, and I was 26 when I got married. She is a trail rider now. She, she rode show horses for a while when she was involved with me. And she is a very, very dear friend of mine, lives down in North Carolina now and is a very active trail rider. She belongs to a couple of trail riding associations and and hauls around to different like state parks and and national parks and goes on trail rides. So, pers- so that's kind of interesting. That is. So pursuing this opportunity what? really didn't require a significant investment on your part because you already had it. You had the barn, you had the horses, you had the tech equipment, etc. You just opened up yourself and gave up your time to really help somebody else fall in love with horses. Right. And you, and use my resources for them. Oh. And I will say, I shouldn't say it hasn't been expensive because it has, because I have had to replace my tack. And as we would show, I would have to get better tack and <laughs> buy a better saddle. I gave Maggie her saddle for graduation this past year. Oh, that's neat. So that it, it is neat because when you, when you go out to become a professional rider, it's assumed that you have your own saddle. You have your own you have your own martingale. You have your own girths and things like that. So she has to amass all of that in order to go out and ride for other people. Okay. And you're also helping parents because they don't have to go through and purchase all that stuff right up front to see if their daughters 
like horses. They have this, I want to get a horse. All right, well, let me go buy a pony and let me buy a saddle and buy all of this and rent space at the barn and all that. And there are thousands of dollars into it. Don't don't forget a horse trailer and a truck to pull it. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And boarding fees and all that. Horses are a horrendously expensive hobby. I can imagine. I I mean, by the time you've bought a horse trailer and a truck to pull it with, you're in it for $10,000. Yes. And you haven't even bought a horse yet. That's right. And it it is so funny because I've been sitting at a dinner table in a restaurant with three or four other trainers and barn owners, and somebody at the table will say, my son is involved in travel ball this year. You wouldn't believe how expensive it is. And we all look at each other like, are you crazy? <laughs> right. So you've got the parents, you've got a child, say a 12-year-old girl who's, who talks all the time nonstop about wanting a horse. I got to have a horse. I want a horse. I want a horse. I want a horse. So dad and mom and dad go out and buy all of this stuff and make the arrangements for them. And they start dry, riding it and realize that horses poop. And when they do, it's a big mess. And they like, ew, I don't like horses anymore. And now the mom and dad are out all that money. <laughs> so you're really <laughs> helping them a lot. Now, do the girls, do you require the girls to help care for the horse, horses as well? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So they're cleaning the stalls it's, and and making sure that the horses are brushed and groomed? Yes. And they clean the tack when they finish riding. They clean the tack and put it away. And they sweep the barn up when they're there. Mm-hmm. I, and it's really not so much that I need help because I have help at the barn. Mm-hmm. And I have Tate help at my barn. But it's important to me that they understand horses are expensive. And nobody's going to give it to you. You've got to work for it. You have to work for it. So, yes, they wash out buckets and clean stalls and and clean out the horse trailer. If I take them over for a lesson, I bring them back and they have to clean the horse trailer out. And then I go out and put it back in line where it belongs. But yes, they, they have to do that work mm-hmm. in order to earn the, the right to use a horse. The earn the right. That's an interesting concept. Absolutely. Horses are hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, it's, 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 one of, it's one of those things that it's like, if you have, if you're into, say you're into dirt bikes, so you've got a son that's into dirt bikes. So you buy him a dirt bike and in the off season, you drain the gas out of it and put it in the garage. Well, there's no garage to put a horse in. He hmm. has to be fed twice a day, 365 days a year. His stall has to be cleaned every day. Mm-hmm. He has to have clean shavings put in it at least once a week. He has to be blanketed in the cold weather and he has to have fly sheets on him in the summertime. He has to be groomed, and I mean, it's a, it's an everyday proposition to own a horse. So, you're are you requiring the kids to come in every day to take care of the horse? Or are you doing it during the day, but the kids must do it on the weekends? I'm doing it. I'm doing it every day because that's what I do. Okay. But I I do require them to participate in taking care of the horse. All right. They yes. have to they have to know how to put a blanket on and take a blanket off. They have to know how to adjust it so that the straps are in the place so that a horse can't get a leg through it and kill himself. They have to, they have to learn these things. Okay. It's, it's not about riding. It's about taking care of horses. You faced any challenges in doing this for people? 
I have faced some challenges, mostly indifference from parents. I, I have run into that from time to time. And I have run into a little problem once in a while with somebody who thinks that I am too stern with their child. Okay. And that's and, probably the same thing if you ask baseball coaches what their biggest challenge exactly. are. They're going to say parents. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> right. So what advice would you give to people over the age of 50 to help them either identify or pursue their passions? Well, I think that most people have a little voice in the back of their head that if they would listen to it would tell them what they what they really are interested in and what they need to do. And and I don't think it has to be a big, big step. I mean, there's a little girl across the street. She's not little. She's 16. I shouldn't call her a little girl. <laughs> she's 16 years old now. But that child loves to do jigsaw puzzles, and so do I. And she has a little sister that she can't do jigsaw puzzles at home because her little sister's three years old and she wants to participate and then she tears <laughs> the puzzles up and drags them off the table. And so I have her over to my house. Usually not once a week. It's more like once every few weeks. We do a puzzle night and she and her mom come over and I fix dinner and then we put a puzzle together. So I think that it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be something as small as, I mean, I think you can make an impact on a child's life with a jigsaw puzzle. You just have to step out there and make the effort. That's and I think that, that more people need to do that. I also think that I, I heard that thing a long time ago about writing your own eulogies and then asking yourself what you need to do to get to that. What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? Mm -hmm. And then work on getting there, work on becoming that person. I, I think that's a valuable, I think that's a valuable tool. How do you want people to remember you? Oh gosh, it's somebody who knew what she wanted <laughs> and went after it, went after it hammer and tongs. And working with youth, some people don't like to do that. And there's a lot of challenges in that today. But there are so many rewards when you get the right person. And I know as a dad of daughters only, each one of my daughters had an adult friend who we knew about, and they were free to go over to their home all the time and just hang out if they wanted to. And we saw that as an opportunity for them to be with another responsible adult who was in many ways delivering the same message to our daughters that we were, but in a way that the kids would accept. Because if dad said something, it was immediately dismissed. Same thing with mom. But if one of their adult friends were to tell them and give them the exact same advice, it was like, hmm, maybe I should think about this. Well, and I think that kids are smart enough to know that their parents have an agenda. <laughs> and their adult friend probably doesn't. That's a point. Yeah, I, I think that, and, and I also had an adult friend when I was a teenager that my parents pretty much gave free reign to advise me. Um, mm -hmm. And 
course, the problem comes up when you tell them something their parents would not have told them. <laughs> and I've been very fortunate that Maggie's parents are very, very generous in that way. I mean, they may not agree. They probably don't agree with everything that I tell her. But on the other hand, Maggie's mother is a very sweet, sweet person. She's a, she's a darling person and a real people pleaser. She is almost my alter ego. <laughs> and she, she always says that she thinks that I balance her out. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yes, it's it, it's nice that she, I mean, she, I do tell Maggie things that her mother would not tell her. But her mother all will say to me sometimes, I think sometimes the way that you are with Maggie just balances out the way that I am. That's very mature. I, I call, yeah, it is. And I think that that's, I think that that's a very broad-minded approach to take. It teaches and the- I appreciate it in her. Yes, it teaches the kids to think, not what to think. True, to make a decision, which which way do you want to go? Exactly. Oh. I also think, and I don't know if I have time to talk about this for a second, but sure. I also think that people that want to get involved in doing some new things when after they're 50 ought to join some Facebook groups. I I'm I'm a big proponent of Facebook. I, I belong to lots of Facebook groups. I belong to some gardening groups, and I'm getting ready to build a little greenhouse, so I belong to a couple of greenhouse groups. And I have I have gotten some involvement with some very interesting people who have turned out to be friends of mine through local Facebook groups. Really? And I think that people... Oh, gosh. I went on, went on there. I, there's a local... I think it's called Hampton Roots Gardener, Gardeners or something. I went on there and said that I had a bunch of iris bulbs that I had dug up. And if anybody would like to have them, here's my phone number. Give me a call. One of the people who came and got some iris bulbs turned out to be a girl that used to date my brother. <laughs> and another, and, and we are still in contact. She's this very sweet person and doesn't live very far from me. And another one that came out and got some of those iris bulbs is one of my dearest friends now. She lives right down the street from me. When my sister and I went to Florida a couple of months ago, we took her with us. <laughs> and you would not have connected with these people outside of Facebook, likely. You weren't likely to. Exactly. I mean, I would never have gotten to be friends with Teresa, hmm? the girl that went to Florida with us a couple a couple of months ago except for she answered that little thing on Facebook and came and got some iris bulbs. Okay. So I think that that's a real, it's a real vehicle for getting involved in your community, getting involved with people that have like interests to you. That's a good point too. And Facebook will allow you to connect with experts from around the country if you're in the right group. So for example, exactly. right. So you can, is somebody might be in Nebraska who is really, really good at what you want to do, and you would never connect with them outside of Facebook. You wouldn't bump into them in the road or in the, in the store and say, hey, I'm interested in this and strike up a conversation, but you would do that on Facebook. And conversely, you can find people who need mentoring on Facebook because there are people on these beginner gardening sites hmm. who, who will get in touch and say, I, I'd love to have a vegetable garden, but I just don't, I don't know how. And you can, 
go on and say, well, I'm putting my garden, and I've done this, I'm putting my garden in the weekend of April 17th. If you want to come out and see how it's done, send me a private message and I'll send you my address. Well, that's nice. And people have come out and, and learned how to put a vegetable garden in. My parents taught me, but everybody doesn't have parents who know how to garden. I know how to kill things really easy. That's, that's a, a special skill that I have, which is why I don't garden. But that's I haven't learned that Yes, I know. That's a very expensive way to garden. So what you're saying is that even you, everybody has a special skill, talent, or ability. And they don't have to develop a special program or anything like that or put out a shingle and say, I'm available. They just have to make themselves available and they can do that for free on Facebook by joining these groups and then just striking up conversations with people, chipping in when somebody has a a question, just responding to that. And who knows what kind of relationships you'll form online or offline. Well, it's true. And, and the other thing is, and I guess this is, I guess this is, it's not a pet peeve of mine. That's the wrong term. It's something that I don't understand when people say this. Well, I know, but then I'd have people coming and going all the time. Well, of course you will. That's a great thing of life to have people coming and going all the time. I mean, that involvement with people is what makes living worthwhile. I'd agree with that. At least in, in my mind. And they say, well, but if I did that, then I'd have people coming over to my house. Well, of course you would sort of the whole point right is to have people coming and going i mean i think it's i think it is so distressing when i hear retired people say well the worst part about being retired is being lonely and i go why are you lonely mm-hmm. why do you why would you be lonely why don't you get out there and get involved in life right it's, it's so easy and you could do the same thing with puzzles Somebody likes to put puzzles together, but they're so lonely. Well, come on over, bring your puzzle and we'll put it yeah. together. We'll, I'll make dinner. Exactly. You bring your puzzle and we'll have a great evening. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that people, I don't know, I, you know, people say, well, I think it's just so dangerous. It, it's dangerous to let strangers into your life. Well, I would say that you've been watching too many episodes <laughs> of Law and Order. It's not dangerous to let people into your life. It's dangerous to walk around in a bad part of town. Right. After dark, but it's not dangerous to let people with interests similar to yours into your life. I mean, you need to use some common sense. Right. But in general, the world is full of wonderful people but who would like to learn something from you or teach you something. So you have no problem taking an online relationship offline and inviting people over and, and striking up that friendship with them once you get to know them online. I, and you realize it's not something you do right away, I would imagine. No, of course not. And you don't invite them over at 10 o'clock at night. Right. But you <laughs> you can certainly invite them over and then have your sister there to help. Or have your brother there or have have a couple of your boarders be there at the same time. I mean, I board horses at my farm, so I have people coming and going. Well, they <laughs> turned out to be wonderful friends. One of my boarders. And her husband and my sister and I went to Ireland together twice. And well, that, another one of my boarders and her husband and my sister and I went to Greece last year. Well, that's a fun So, way I mean, you make your friends where you can. Absolutely. Well, Betty, this has been wonderful. You've shared a lot of great information and advice. And I wish you the best of your success as you continue to mentor these young people 
and uh, help them fall in love with horses and teach them life skills along the way. Well, I appreciate that, Greg. I really do. And it's been wonderful to talk to you. I have known Betty Mills professionally from my days as a journalist covering the RV industry. She has a big heart and a strong desire to help other people. As a dodo, dad of daughters only, myself, I love how Betty desires to make a difference in the lives of young people, especially girls. These 100-pound young ladies feel empowered being able to control 1,400-pound horses. Gives them a lot of confidence that carries over into other things they do, too, such as school and relationships. Betty helps teenage girls learn to become assertive, but not in an aggressive way. The youngsters Betty works with must earn their ability to ride horses by learning to care for the animals. They clean the horses, equipment, and barn. Caring for such a large animal becomes a regular responsibility for her protégés. Responsibility is certainly missing in the lives of many children and teens today. But the real magic of mentoring occurs with the one-on-one time Betty spends with the teens as they ready the horse for a lesson and clean up afterward. The kids often open their hearts to Betty and she can offer advice or just listen to their stories. Horses aren't the only way Betty mentors people. Sometimes a teen will come to her home to make dinner or to just put together a puzzle. Just having the ability to talk freely with another trusted adult about their fears, concerns, and frustrations can have a tremendous impact on the youngster's life. For people over 50, Betty recommends they get involved in Facebook groups, where they can serve as wise sages to people of all ages who want to learn what the older folks already know. I really appreciate Betty sharing her story with us today. You can connect with her on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Betty C. Mills. If you'd like help in identifying the purpose for your life, or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Fullerton Fifteen Facebook community. The details connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. That's all for this week's show. Next time I'll be speaking with a man who served as a professional engineer for many years, and now his biggest job comes from serving as a substitute teacher at a middle school. We'll explain how he, as a 70-year-old, relates to teens and tweens in a way that impacts their lives and guides them toward the future. I'll have that interview on the next episode of the Passionate Purpose Podcast. Thanks for listening.